0: Our text uh, is from Proverbs sixteen, verse seven. Proverbs sixteen, verse seven. There we read the following. When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. The Lord has commanded us through the Apostle Paul to live peaceably with all men as much as is possible as much as we are able. In Romans 12:18, Paul says, If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Notice that in this world we cannot, as hard as we may try, we cannot live at peace with all men. But we are to love peace to such an extent that we seek to promote it as much as lies within us. Here we see that we are not to be like those who enjoy bitter conflicts, who uh, live to stir up debate and controversy, whose lives are almost boring without stirring up some trouble uh, in the family or in the church or at work. Furthermore, we are called by our blessed Savior to be peacemakers in promoting reconciliation amongst one another rather than division. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Matthew 5.9 Dear ones, one of the many delights that will make heaven what it is, is that there will no longer be conflicts. Wars, disagreements, or divisions. All of that will be gone, forever gone in the past. What sorrow and heartache attends the f- fierce conflicts in families between spouses or between children and parents? How our families, dear ones, need the peace of Christ actively working in them to remove these painful, sorrowful battles. How the church of Jesus Christ needs the peace, purity, and unity of Christ in order to heal her many divisions and to fulfill the prayer of Christ that we find in John seventeen twenty-one, where Christ prayed that they all may be one. For our backbiting, backstabbing, name-calling destroys this peace which Christ has purchased between family members and church members. How foolish we are to think that the evil reports we spread concerning one another will not sooner or later end up in the ear of those against whom we have spoken. God will select... According to his word, God will select his own messenger to wing that evil report to them sooner or later, as we've all learned, sadly, from our own experience. As we read in Ecclesiastes 10.20, Curse not the king, know not in thy thought, and curse not the rich, in thy bedchamber, for a bird of the air shall carry the voice, and that which hath wings shall tell the matter. Where is, dear ones, our shame? Where is our embarrassment? Where is the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our lives when we can destroy the peace of Christ and despise those whom we are called to love without the slightest care or concern for the blessed peace Christ has purchased at the cost of his own precious blood? For if we can go about destroying the peace of Christ which he has purchased and do so without the slightest conviction of God's Spirit... Our spiritual condition, I would submit to you, is serious indeed. May the Lord prick our consciences today and grant us repentance where we have failed to pursue peace. And yet, and to the contrary, pursued enmity, pursued division, and disruption. This Lord's Day let us probe the chief way in which peace is promoted through the life of a Christian. There are two main points to the sermon, this Lord's Day. The first main point is this a condition. A condition. When a man's ways please the Lord. And then secondly, a promise. He maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. So let's look at the condition. When a man's ways please the Lord. Now, before looking at what it means to please the Lord, I think we have to consider for a moment the matter of a condition attached to a promise when we speak of a condition to a promise or a conditional promise we do not imply that the promised blessing is suspended and dependent upon our works of obedience to earn or to merit that which is promised that dear ones is a covenant of works, not a covenant of grace. Promises are not suspended or dependent. They are not the cause of the promise being realized in our life. The cause, as we shall see, is the work of Jesus Christ. The means may be our obedience, our faith, but the cause is Christ and his fulfilling the covenant of grace. Otherwise, we are living under a covenant of works. The conditions which we perform, therefore, dear ones, are not the cause for our enjoying promised blessings in the Christian life. They are rather the divinely appointed order and means by which we enjoy promised blessings in the Christian life. For neither can we earn or merit our justification and salvation at the very outset of the life of grace, nor can we earn or merit our sanctification and growth in Christ thereafter in the life of a Christian. In the life of grace. To understand that God's promises ultimately depend upon our performance, to enjoy them is to rob God's promises ultimately of their most essential character. Namely, that they are freely purchased for us by Christ and freely given to us by Christ. Thus, to view the conditions attached to promises in the Scripture as our righteousness and not Christ's righteousness, as our merit and not Christ's merit, as dependent upon us and not dependent upon Christ, is to cast ourselves, as I said, back upon a covenant of works wherein we may have reason to boast before God and boast before man. Thus, dear ones, in a strict and formal sense, we may say that all of the promises of God in Christ Jesus are unconditional to us, for the formal condition of all the promises of God to his people is Christ's obedience in fulfilling the covenant of grace and not our own obedience. In fact, we might also say that the conditions by which we come to enjoy all of the promises of God are unconditional for the same reason. All of the promises of God are unconditional for the same reason. They too, every single last one of them has been earned for us and purchased for us By the obedience and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Thus, when we come to Proverbs 16 7, the condition of making our ways pleasing to the Lord is not the cause of peace. It's not the cause of our enemies being at peace with us, but rather, the graciously bestowed order and divinely appointed means by which God brings peace. Not the cause, but the means. For even when our ways, dear ones, please the Lord, it is all of God's grace, God's free gift to us, even though we are made active in the process. We're not totally inactive in our enemies. being made peace with us. We don't just sit there and do nothing. That's true. But it's a gift granted to us by the Lord, earned by Jesus Christ. And the Lord says, this is the way, however, that he has appointed that our enemies be at peace with us. When our ways are pleasing to him. Do not think, dear ones, that this promised blessing of peace with man is any less a precious gift paid for by the life and death of Christ than is peace with God. Peace with God does does indeed precede precede peace with man as to the order of nature, but both peace with God and peace with man are the free gifts to us free gifts purchased and earned on our behalf on the basis of Christ's perfect obedience. Let's look at that phrase, when a man's ways please the Lord. How do a man's ways please the Lord? How do a man's ways or a woman's ways please the Lord? The word used for please is also translated as Delight, or take pleasure in. Thus, Proverbs sixteen seven may also be understood to say, When a man's ways delight the Lord, or when the Lord takes pleasure in the ways of a man. Just as man is to delight and take pleasure in the Lord as God, which we find in many places in the Scripture, So we are told that the infinitely holy God who created all things delights and takes pleasure in his people. And not merely in those heavenly saints who are glorified already, but also those earthly saints who are yet infected with sin and corruption, and are in the process of being sanctified by the grace of Christ. The Lord, dear ones, takes pleasure and delight in you. Now, if that's not an amazing thought, when we know the corruption of our own hearts, that God takes pleasure and delight in you, I don't know what will encourage us. But that is what the Word of God teaches here. Here's one of those amazing truths concerning which our meditation and contemplation can never plumb the depths, even in an eternity of contemplation and reflection. The God who delights not in sin who abominates and hates sin perfectly, yet delights in the persons of sinners who have been justified and are being just uh, sanctified by His amazing grace. Consider with me what the psalmist says in Psalm 149, verse 4. For the Lord taketh pleasure in his people. He will beautify the meek with salvation. The Lord takes pleasure in his people. You may understand today that you have been called to enjoy and rejoice in the Lord. As taught in many passages, such as Philippians 4:4, 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. So you are certainly commanded to find joy, pleasure, and delight in the Lord. But do you also know and understand today that we rejoice in the Lord only, only because He first rejoices in us sinners? whom he has saved on the basis of his free grace in Christ Jesus our Lord. The reason we are to rejoice in him is because he has first rejoiced in us. The reason we are to love him is because he has first loved us. Unworthy, corruptible as we are. We read in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. Listen to this. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. That is his love for you. He will joy over thee with singing. The Lord, even in heaven today, is pouring forth his joy. It's not simply the saints that are gathered before him that are rejoicing. But there is a mutual rejoicing that is going on in heaven where the Lord is rejoicing in his people that he has redeemed and that he has saved God rejoices dear ones in us because we are by faith in Jesus Christ who is God's chief joy You remember the words of God. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And when we are in Him who is well pleased before God, we likewise find that God takes pleasure in us. It is essential that we realize and acknowledge that our ways can only please the Lord because we have been united to Christ and our persons are only acceptable through the righteousness of Christ. Dear ones, our works of obedience are never acceptable in us or in themselves. That is, in the works themselves. Our works are only and ever acceptable in Christ, in spite of their many weaknesses and in spite of their many imperfections. This is testified to in the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 16, section 6, under the heading of Good Works. It says, Yet notwithstanding, the persons of believers being accepted through Christ, their good works also are accepted in him, that is in Christ, not as though they were in this life wholly unblameable and unreprovable in God's sight, but that he, looking upon them in his Son, is pleased to accept and reward that which is sincere, although accompanied with many weaknesses and imperfections. Let me list some ways in which <coughs> our ways please the Lord. Several ways in which our uh, our own ways please the Lord. First, our ways are pleasing to the Lord when we are fair and just in the way we work. According to Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1. A false balance is abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Delight. A just weight is his delight. Fairness in our business dealings is a delight. Our ways are pleasing to the Lord when we are fair and honest in our business dealings. Joseph found favor with Potiphar, you'll recall, and was entrusted with the care of his whole household due to his fairness and to his honesty. He worked in the light of God being his master and not merely Potiphar being his master. And so the question is, in all of our cases, do you merely work for your earthly master? Is that all that really matters to you, your earthly master, your earthly employer, your earthly boss? Or do you work for your heavenly master ultimately? And this comes, rubber meets the road when it comes to Sabbath issues. And our earthly employer wants us to work unlawfully on the Sabbath. Or our earthly employer wants us to tell a little lie for him or exercise a little deception for him. Who are we going to view as our master at that point? Our earthly employer or our heavenly master? Well, We can tell whether our ways are pleasing the Lord by those types of decisions and commitments that we make in those particular kinds of situations. Secondly, the Lord delights in our ways when we are upright and pure in our hearts toward the Lord and toward our neighbor. Consider what is said in Proverbs 11.20. As righteousness, I'm sorry, that's verse 19. Verse 20 says, they that are of a froward heart are abomination to the Lord But such as are upright in their way are his delight. Those who are upright in heart are his delight. The uprightness of our hearts or the lack thereof is revealed, dear ones, by the way we speak of one another. By the way we gossip and name call or spread evil reports. For as Jesus said in Matthew twelve thirty four, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Obviously, there are times in which due to sin, we must speak to others and we must involve others. We must, uh, uh, in those cases of obstinacy, Bring matters before the elders. That's not what is being referred to here as an evil report or as gossip or name calling when we have to go to others and follow basically a Matthew eighteen kind of process. But dear ones, do your words do your words reveal an uprightness of heart toward others or a perversity of heart? Toward others? Is there vengeance and vindictiveness and wanting to get even with others? That's not what is revealed in an upright heart. We can certainly have a righteous and holy indignation toward uh, the sins of others and even toward our own sins, uh, surely. Uh, But again, The idea of simply spreading an evil report to get at people or to gossip about others, simply that others be informed, who, again, may have uh, no reason to be informed of what is going on, does not reveal an upright heart. Thirdly, the Lord takes pleasure in our ways when we are faithful to the truth and refuse to utter lies, or refuse to embrace errors, as we see in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 22. Lying lips are abomination to the Lord, but they that deal truly are His delight. They that deal truly and truthfully are His delight. Lying, dear ones, and deceitfulness are not the ways which please the Lord are rather ways which lead one ultimately. Lying is the way which ultimately leads, according to the Scripture, to eternal destruction. In Revelation twenty one, verses seven through eight, list a category of those who find themselves in hell in eternal torment in the lake of fire, one group of those are liars. Dear ones, God cannot lie and he delights in those who love the truth, pursue the truth, speak the truth in love and embrace the truth. God delights in those who who are honest, who are not deceptive in their ways. Fourthly, the Lord rejoices in our ways when our prayers and worship flow from an upright and sincere heart, according to Proverbs fifteen eight, where it says the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord but the prayer of the upright is his delight. The prayer of the upright is his delight. You see, the sacrifices of the wicked and going through the outward motions of worship, even that worship which is outwardly pure. But if that worship pers- proceeds from an impenitent and unforgiven heart, from a heart that is filled with self-righteousness, filled with self-merit, that is filled with pride, that worship, according to the Lord, is an abomination to him. Whereas the sacrifices of the upright... Proceed from a heart of faith in Christ's righteousness alone. From a heart of brokenness over one's own sin. Committed against not only the holiness of God, but committed also against the love and the mercy and the grace of God in Christ Jesus. Worship that proceeds from a heart of forgiveness having received forgiveness from god but being willing to forgive one another and from a heart of loving thankfulness for god's mercy in christ jesus listen to the heart of one who understood true worship as it's offered to the lord even even after Very gross and aggravated and heinous sin. Listen to the words of David in Psalm 51, verses 16 through 17. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, Thou will not despise. Thou will not despise. Fifthly, the Lord delights in our ways. When we fear Him and reverence Him with a holy awe and wonder, and take Him and His commandments seriously in our lives. Consider the psalmist and what he says in Psalm 147, verses 10 through 11, with regard to how God delights in those who fear Him. Psalm 147, verses 10 and 11. He delighteth not in the strength of the horse. He taketh not pleasure in the legs of a man. The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him, in those that hope in his mercy. You see, there was those who looked to their own resources, their own gifts, Their own abilities, their own possessions, their own job, their own intellect, their own works as their safety and as their security in this life or in the life to come, do not fear the Lord as is here commanded and as the Lord calls us to have if we would have the Lord to delight in us for that in which dear ones you trust and that in which you ultimately place your safety and security is that which you fear and take most seriously dear ones who or what do you fear above all else Above anything else, who or what is it that you fear? Do you fear those who can merely destroy these mortal bodies, but after that can do nothing else? Or do you fear Him, the one true living God, who is able to cast both body and soul into hell? Do you fear Him most? And supremely, do you hold him the greatest awe and wonder, and take him most seriously? There we'll must never forget that courage is not the absence of fear, but rather courage is fearing God reverencing god for his greatness, his power, his majesty, hold, holding him in holy awe and wonder more than you fear any one or anything else. That's true courage. And you can have this huge hulk of a man and yet this tiny very small petite woman or even a child And that big man can be the biggest wimp. And that smallest child or that most petite woman be filled with the greatest degree and amount of courage because she fears the Lord. It's God whom she takes seriously and holds in great awe and wonder. And so never confuse those who can kick down a door and break into a house and, and take weapons and kill hundreds or thousands is having the greatest amount of courage or having courage in the biblical sense at all. But rather, look to those whose fear is the Lord, who take God most seriously as having the greatest degree of courage and <laughs> biblical courage. There's a couple more things about that before moving on to the next point. Thou which you fear what you fear, mark it down, write it down in your mind, indelibly, or on paper, go over it. You'll see that this is the case. That which you fear is that which you serve. That which you fear is that which you serve. Is that which you fear preoccupies you. That which you fear is that which you think most about that which you fear is that which you implicitly acknowledge to control your life. God delights in those who fear Him. As we read from the mouth of the psalmist in Psalm 27, verse 1, The Lord is my light. In my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Sixthly, God takes pleasure in our ways when we are thankful to the Lord for his many gracious benefits to us. Look with me at Psalm 69, verses 30. Through 31, Psalm 69, verses 30 through 31. God delights in those who are thankful. There we read I will praise the name of God with a song, and will magnify him with thanksgiving. This also shall please the Lord better than an ox or bullock that hath horns and hoofs. God is most pleased and takes greatest delight in the sacrifices of thanksgiving that flow from our heart and our lips. Rather than all the money and all the offerings, not to say that we shouldn't give to the support of the ministry, but God delights most in a thankful heart. It takes pleasure in our giving praise unto Him for His bounty and for His goodness. You see, dear ones, our discontentment, our envy, our covetousness, our anger over God's providence in our lives, our murmuring against our lot that God has brought in our life, and even our mere forgetfulness, even if we do not murmur in a positive way against God, speaking against God, but even our mere forgetfulness to be thankful to the Lord of His many benefits leaves us with an unthankful heart. There's no neutrality. If Thankfulness is not in our hearts. It doesn't matter whether we're speaking against God or we're just simply saying nothing. God calls us to have thankful hearts. And God delights in that. Without a a thankful heart, dear ones, we walk in the paths of Israel. As they wandered in the wilderness, complaining against God's provision for them and murmuring against God's leaders that he had set over them. In so doing, they despised the blessings of God's salvation and their deliverance from Pharaoh. Dear ones, there is not a more pleasing sacrifice to the Lord than that of thankful lips, A thankful speech reveals, dear ones, a trusting and a dependent heart. When we are thankful, it tells us who are we relying upon, who are we truly trusting in. Thankful words also reveal a humble heart, not a proud heart, but a humble heart. You see, it is easy to be thankful when everything is going well in our lives, However, the grace of thankfulness is tried in the fire seven times over when we are afflicted, impoverished, abandoned, it would seem, burdened, mocked, hated, and called names. Let us consider, dear ones, the words of thankfulness. Even in the midst of great fiery trials, Tribulation and affliction that are uttered in Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Stop for a moment. Those aren't the best of times that he's just described. Those are very trying times. Probably none of us presently find ourselves to the same degree of times as are here spoken of though we can certainly relate to varying degrees too, being without various things in our lives. But these are very, very difficult times of which he speaks. But the verse doesn't end there. The verse continues, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. And he will make my feet like hinds' feet. And he will make me to walk upon mine high places. Remember, dear ones, God does not rejoice in our ways because they are perfect. For indeed they are not. He rejoices in our ways because they are wrought in the name of Christ and to the glory of Christ, who is perfect. That's why he rejoices in our ways, because they are done in the name of Christ and for the glory of Christ. A second main point. We looked at the condition, now we look at the promise. He maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. a man's ways, please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. Man has so many ideas as to how he can live at peace with others. Most of uh, the ideas of man have in view a compromise of that which is righteous and true. Man's concept of peace involves this question. What am I willing to give up in order to have peace? The family members, members in the church, people at work, what am I willing to give up in order to have peace? In such a worldview, righteousness and truth, dear ones, are sacrificed at the altar of obtaining peace. Peace becomes in such a situation an end in itself rather than the means by which we glorify God and enjoy God and do what is pleasing to him. According to this view of compromise in order to obtain peace, we may do evil that good may come. As stated in Romans 3 8. However, this is not the Lord's way to be at peace with one another or even with one's enemies to compromise the truth. The Lord's way to peace with one another is probably totally foreign to the world, but listen very closely. The Lord's way. Of bringing peace to enemies, and if to enemies, how much more to friends, how much more to family members, how much more to members of the same church. The Lord's way to bringing peace is to please Him, is to be found a delight to God, as we've already described is to do that which is pleasing to him. It is to uphold righteousness and truth rather than to destroy destroy or compromise righteousness and truth. For when a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. You know dear ones that truth that in that passage of scripture sets us free. As Jesus said, the truth shall set you free. That truth sets us free. We don't have to play games to be at peace with others. We don't have to compromise righteousness or truth to be at peace with others. We don't have to plead and beg forever and a day to be at peace with others. We don't have to take on some sense of false guilt in order to be at peace with others if the enmity between us is not due to our own sin. Of course, if it is due to our own sin, then there's a way to deal with that, to remove that enmity by way of our own repentance, confession, and seeking forgiveness. But dear ones, this particular truth, with this truth, when a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. With that truth in mind, we can rest. We can relax and cast ourselves upon the promise of God. With this promise of peace, God's grace may be manifested in our seeking the Lord's joy. That would be our focus. That would be where our primary attention is is turned. How can we bring God joy? How can we bring God delight And pleasure by our loving obedience to his commandments. You see, here is a God centered view of peace with man rather than a man centered view of peace with man. According to this view of bringing peace, our job, our primary job here, is simply to be pleasing to the Lord. Doesn't that simplify things? We can make things so complicated when there is enmity, when there are divisions, etc., etc. But this simplifies things. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. How often we act the part of the Holy Spirit in seeking to change someone from being an enemy to being a friend. Dear ones, only God can change the heart of sinners. We will likely and more likely make enemies of people than friends if we try by our own resources and good intentions to change people from being our enemies to being our friends. We'll probably drive them further away. Or if we don't drive them further away, we will have compromised the truth and righteousness, which is even worse. Or if if changing enemies into friends becomes, dear ones, an idol to us, which it can. Because we so much want there to be peace. We can actually make that an idol to us preoccupies us. Everything we do is focused around that. Everything we think is focused around that. It can become an idol to us where truth and righteousness then again are compromised. and We will find that our ways then are no longer pleasing to the Lord. And that rather than making friends, we drive more wedges between others and ourselves. Remember the peace that was brought to Jacob because his ways pleased the Lord? Remember that, these these particular examples? Laban, you'll recall, Laban pursued Jacob. And As he was leaving Laban to return to his homeland, Laban pursued Jacob. And what was awaiting him on the other end? Esau. Esau awaited him. Jacob's coming from this direction. Esau's coming from this direction. Not exactly the kind of situation any of us want to be in. Both seem very hostile. At least potentially hostile. Yet by God's sovereign power, Laban departed from Jacob with a kiss, and Esau greeted Jacob with a kiss. Because Jacob's ways pleased the Lord. Remember as well how the Lord gave to Daniel and his three friends favor in the sight of pagan kings due to their willingness to please the Lord even at the cost of their own lives, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego endured the fiery furnace, and when Daniel endured the lion's den. You see, what was most important to them was not, let's just get along. Oh, surely we can work things out here. A little compromise here, a little compromise there. Um, we don't have to worry. We don't have to deal with this fiery furnace issue or the lion's den issue. We can just kind of work things out. But that wasn't an option for these men because their ways pleased the Lord. They were willing to sacrifice. They were willing to endure whatever came. And when they did so, God brought peace. God rescued them from their adversaries. This promise, as with all promises, is fulfilled by God's sovereign power, for he that holds the king in his very hand and turns the king's heart wherever he wills is able to bring peace even with those who are hostile to us. If we do not believe this, dear ones, if we do not believe that God is able to turn enemies into friends, make those who are hostile friendly to us, we don't believe this. How could we believe that God could take a heretical Saul who hated and persecuted the church and make him into an apostle Paul who loved the church, was willing to lay down his life for the church. Dear ones, let us trust in the power of God to change the hearts of men whether in your, your family, whether in the church, or whether at the workplace. Let us realize our own inability to change adversaries into friends apart from the grace of God. Let us rather keep our faith firmly in Christ, seeking in all that we do to please Christ in the way that we speak and act before others. Even the national enemies of ancient Israel were held back by a fear imposed upon them by God when their ways were pleasing to the Lord. As we find in Second Chronicles 17.10, the reason that these enemy nations around them did not attack Israel was because, it says, the fear of the Lord was upon them, was upon the enemies. And that's because, again, during those times, Israel's ways pleased the Lord. But when Israel's ways did no longer please the Lord, what happened? The enemies attacked. The enemies came in, took them into captivity. Dear ones, we must be careful that we do not make peace with men at the expense of making enmity with God. can't have it both ways. So many times, in seeking to be at peace with man, we make ourselves strangers to God and enemies to God by way of our words and our deeds and our actions. Obviously, when we can be at peace with God and be at peace with others, that's the ideal situation for which we pray we hope. But it doesn't always work out that way. It has been said, the best way for our enemies to be reconciled to us is for us to be reconciled to God. Again, the focus is a God-centered focus rather than a man-centered focus. Our danger and fear ought ultimately to lie not in the anger of our enemies but in the anger of an offended father in heaven we ought more to be conscious of offending God than we are of how we stand for righteousness and truth that may be offensive to others not because we have given offense in standing for the truth but because they have taken offense in standing for the truth For we cannot be touched by our enemies apart from the loving decree of God, as we see in the case of Job and many other examples in the Bible. And when we are touched, when we are afflicted, when we are persecuted and even martyred by those who hate us, it is for the testimony of Christ and is brought to us by the love of Christ. Remember those kings who thought they might have peace with their enemies at the expense of God's truth and righteousness, like Jehoshaphat, righteous king. But he thought he could have peace with his fellow men at the expense of the truth. Jehoshaphat befriended wicked king Ahab. And Jehoshaphat nearly lost his life in battle when the Assyrians mistook him for Ahab. You see, dear ones, the, return, the returns of a compromised peace are damaging and hurtful to ourselves and to others, for a compromised peace is not pleasing to the Lord. Herein, herein dear ones, is stated our hope and confidence, even for that millennial reign of, of Christ from heaven here upon the earth, It will not be brought about by a compromise of righteousness and truth. It will not be brought about by man strategizing amongst themselves and merely pooling their own uh, mere human resources together. That peace that will encompass the world in unity within the church and amongst the nations will be built upon the fact that God's people stand squarely upon Christ, His righteousness, and His truth. That's called reformation. When God brings reformation, God brings peace. Ultimately, all our enemies will either be silenced or reconciled, either silenced or reconciled to those whose ways please the Lord. Because there's coming a day when our enemies will never hurt us again. We'll never be able to touch us again. Whether our enemies be sin, temptation, death, diseases, Satan, or the ungodly. There's coming a day when our enemies will never be able to touch us again. For when Christ returns and death issues forth into life, all our enemies, like death, will be swallowed up and the victory which Christ has purchased by his death and has won by his resurrection. And even before that final day when our body is gloriously raised, at our death, when our souls are glorified and go to be with the Lord, even at that point, our enemies cannot touch us any longer. And so the Lord will fulfill this promise. Whether we see our enemies at peace with us in this life, as God converts them to become friends or as God subdues them or whether our enemies are finally subdued once and for all at the appearing of him who is the Prince of Peace, all our enemies, all our enemies will sooner or later be at peace with us. Either by silencing them or subduing them or converting them. That we can stand upon as the promise of God. And so, let us again take great hope and courage in the promise of God. As is stated in Proverbs sixteen seven, when a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. Let us stand together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we confess our sin of fearing our enemies more than we feared thee believing and making an idol of peace and reconciliation at the expense of offending thee by our compromise of the truth and righteousness and do plead O God that thou would help us at this time to see that thou which is supremely important if we would be at peace even with our enemies, let alone with our family and friends and brothers and sisters in Christ, is that our ways are pleasing unto Thee? And so, Lord, let this be our focus. Let this be that upon which we we strive, O oh Lord, uh, uh, in our Christian life, to be pleasing unto Thee, to be a delight to Thee, that Thou might rejoice in us. The as thy people, as the fruit of righteousness is evidenced in our life as we are conformed more and more to the image of Jesus Christ. We do ask, Lord, that thou would work peace, Lord, uh, uh, that peace which thou hast ordained, that thou would bring that peace to bear, uh, Lord, in thy church. For, O oh God, our hearts grieve, our hearts indeed sorrow over the enmity and division that exists within it. We do plead with Thee, our God, that Thou would Thy kindness and in Thy mercy uh, bring a genuine and a true peace that's based upon truth and righteousness and love in Thine appointed time. But may our focus be May our focus be that of being pleasing to thee in all that we do and say. We ask, Lord, these things to Christ our Savior. Amen.
1: This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. You are welcome to make copies and give them to those in need. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats.